Warning, today's episode deals with topics of a difficult nature. Trigger warnings for content relating to abuse. It's different on this track. <laughs> Why are you so moving sense. like that? Because I'm feeling the vibe, man. That's that pre Ruggu vibe, bro. That's a pre Ruggu vibe. Mm-hmm. Yes, straight. sir. Yes, sir. Big track. Very chill vibes on Even, this Friday night. Yeah, that's right. Bigger that's, artist, though. Bigger artist. That's the voice of FIFA 20, if y'all don't know. Oh, yeah, that's pre Ruggu right. was featured as one of her songs. Yeah, we had, had to cover FIFA 20. That's right. That's right. What was it? Good, good Love? I think. It was Good Love. Good Love, love yeah. 2.0, to be exact. Yes. Once again, it's Engim Thumbelin. Engim Thumbelin. Out here representing. A Thumbel woman. That's right. On the, on the charts. Doing big things. Out in Europe too. Her, her and her brother have this whole movement that they got going on, which is pretty dope. They do their own thing, you know? That's yeah, what that's I think what makes them stand out as well too. Yes, you got to check out the covers on YouTube. Yeah. Like the acoustic covers, they're actually insane. They have like live artists playing in the background with real instruments. Mm. Yes. I'm a sucker for those covers. Yo, seriously, man. It, it's if, if you got ears and they work, yes. you should be too, you know? 100%. Yes. Stay tuned because the After Hours show actually has a couple of those covers coming up very soon. Mm-hmm. We're going to have our own little twist of, you know, an unplugged version, if you will, okay. with some artists. Got to get my vocals cords ready for that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but until then, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. This is Matt. This is Cypher. That's your boy Prodigy, ladies and gentlemen. What is going on? It's the After Hours show. Another mm-hmm. Friday. Another Friday. It's the pre-show, 9 to 11 p.m. once again. We're live on East FM 102.7. We're switching up the vibe a little bit tonight. And uh, we're going to be speaking on a little bit more of a serious topic. I think it's been long overdue that we talk on subjects of this sort. And, of course, we got uh, two very special guests in the building tonight representing a very important organization as well um, coming out of the GTA. And being able, and they're looking to, you know, uh, address issues uh, of systematic violence, intergenerational trauma, and all that stuff that's going on in the community right now. Especially within the Tamil community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For women as well, specifically. 100%. 100%. So without further ado, we're just going to go ahead and let these women take over here. This is Delani and Rubina. So we're going to describe a case study um, about a young Tamil woman named Jenny. And this is a completely made-up name. Um, so Jenny is a 19-year-old young Tamil woman who lives in Scarborough. She went to university for something that she didn't enjoy. She didn't choose on her own. And now she's having a hard time attending classes, um, you know, getting up in the morning to go for online school, keeping up with schoolwork, um, pretty much doing anything other than just staying in her room, staying in bed as much as possible. She's also questioning her sexuality. Um, and she's dealing with something called hidden homelessness, which we'll talk about later. But basically from the outside, she doesn't look homeless but her living situation says otherwise. Um, in terms of her, her family situation, she belongs to a Tamil family that immigrated to Canada due, due to the war in Sri Lanka. And she has one younger brother. Uh, the younger brother, he gets to be part of family decision-making. He's raised to be less responsible in terms of like household duties. So things like doing laundry, cooking, um, but he's also taught more life skills like driving and um, taking care of his finances. And he's able to go on trips away from home, whereas Jenny has to stay home all the time. She also has a couple of uncles who step in to do the parenting because the father is absent emotionally. He's working a lot. He's not doing a lot of parenting. 
And the mother, who is the sister of the uncles, uh, listens to the uncles and kind of, they just have these misogynistic values and she just perpetuates them. So to her life, she grew up with what you think physical, mental, emotional abuse by her father towards her mother. So this is like an everyday life for her. So she's seen that happening over and over again in her life. Um, so her father pretty much like checked out of her life, doesn't uh, contribute much to her life and doesn't take part in like even communication or building a relationship. Um, so her mother pretty much shifted the caregiving responsibilities to her, saying that she, since the father's not like that much around, that she's the one that needs to take care of the brother. She's the one that needs to make sure that the brother does everything right, like going to school or getting up on time or hanging out with the right friends or things like that. All of those responsibilities kind of just fell on her. Um, and she felt like if she does some, something goes wrong with the brother, that it's her fault or like she needs to fix that. Um, she needs to pretty much parent the brother. There's also like a lot of unresolved generational family issues that kind of just goes into what happens at home and what happens with her. A lot of alcoholism in the family. The dad uses a lot to cope and he also works two to three jobs, which results in like him completely not being there even physically. And a lot of history of sexual violence with the immediate family that she's only starting to process right now as she is more aware of these things. Um, and learning a lot more about it now that she can relate and go back to whatever happened in her life and she's processing them as she goes. At this point, you know, she has like a couple of friends who are telling her like something's off, like you're in bed all the time, you're not doing the things you used to enjoy, like maybe you're depressed. And so she's considering reaching out for support for her mental health because she's been feeling depressed, lonely, isolated, and she just needs someone to talk to. So what can Jenny do right now? So first, we know that she is in university, so she can access counseling resources at her school. Um, also, in Ontario, every neighborhood should have a youth outreach worker, um, both by the province and by the city. So she can reach out to a youth outreach worker. There are, like, Tamil-speaking youth outreach workers, specifically in Scarborough as well, and they can help connect her to resources. She also has a support like crisis lines and helplines that are available 24-7. So if she is having suicidal thoughts, anxiety, you can call someone and they can provide brief counseling. So that would be, you wouldn't have the same counselor every time you call, but um, when you call, they give you brief counseling and it's more solution focused. And then if she has a family doctor, she can maybe speak to the family doctor and in Ontario, you have to get a referral through your family doctor to get a psychiatrist, which is sometimes a barrier for some children um, and youth because your family doctor is also your family's family doctor. Sometimes there's, you know, confidentiality is an issue and people fear that their family might hear about what they're going through. So before she thought, you know, her situation was due to external factors, school, relationships, whatever. But, you know, after a couple of counseling sessions, she realizes that, you know what, like she's normalized the toxicity of her home environment. Maybe changing her home environment would improve things for her. So now what can she do? She doesn't really have any financial skills. She doesn't have any savings. She hasn't worked before. She hasn't lived outside of her family's house before, and she's not ready to take on a full-time job. So if she really did want to leave her house, like today, what are her housing options? So she can stay with a friend um, if she has it available, maybe rent a room 
Um, but as we know, like rents can be really high. If she has any savings, maybe she can go stay at a hotel for the night. And then there are emergency shelters and then there are transitional homes. If you're just tuning in, we just discussed a short story about someone named Jenny in the community, a fictional story. We're both here from Kodei Center. My name is Delani, and I'm here with my partner. My name Nuru. is Nirubna. And we're here to discuss hidden homelessness in the young Tamil community and how we're addressing this. Kodei Center is a transitional home. In Tamil, we would say Uday Kalavurde. Um, we are planning to have a six-bed facility for young Tamil women to stay for up to one year. And these young Tamil women would be between the ages of 18 to 25 years old. And in this house, they would receive services like healthy meals, job-seeking training, mental health and addiction support, psychiatric support, medical community referrals, and many other life skills workshops so that they can feel better prepared to leave the house for independent living. Today, Center strives to be an organization for young Tamil women to feel safe and confident while transitioning into independent living. And our vision is to have a physical transitional home that prepares young Tamil women across Ontario for independent living. That was a lot. Um, there's clearly yeah. a lot that was that was happening in that person's life there. You know, a lot of aspects of various types of trauma and, and various different types of negative energies in the household that clearly mm-hmm. left her mm-hmm. in that situation. So I kind of want to dive into that a little bit deeper. Can you tell us a little bit more about the type of people who would generally experience this in, in our community? Like, do you see this being highly prevalent in our community in terms of the story and the experience that Jenny had? Yeah. So I am a youth outreach worker and I work specifically with the Tamil population in Scarborough. So I actually didn't realize how prevalent it was until I started working with this population. And almost like, almost, I would say one in every three youth would have this conversation like, I'm trying to leave my house. Or can you find another family that will adopt me at like the age of 20? Or just even things like they're living in their home, but they don't feel like it's a home. It's really toxic for them. And I can tell that if there are so many times where I would go into a house and have a meeting with them and the family and try to work things out between them. And then I would leave and I would like my heart would just sink because I'm leaving this kid behind. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it wasn't really a healthy place for them to be. And that's when I started thinking about like, where, like what options do these people have? Because there are some young women, they think they know someone who can give them housing, right? But for how long and how safe is that person? And if, if that situation, if that person just kind of dropped you, where would you go then? Are you coming back to your house or like your family? Or do you, do you have the skills to live on your own? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, it, I think it is really prevalent and it's something we need to start addressing. Yeah, plus the temporary situations like emergency shelters, renting a room and staying with your friends works out if they're in an unsafe situation and they like need to get out of it right away. Those things can work out on the spot, but for a long term, they become a risk factor for homelessness as well because they're not stable and they have to keep moving around and mm-hmm. that also then leads them to end up homeless. So we want like a more of a long-term solution rather than a temporary shortcoming. Yeah, and I think this is just like the sad reality of what we deal with in our culture, I guess you can say. And as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's sad to say that, but I, I see things on TikTok where people make fun of things like this just as a almost like a comedic relief where the, the brother and the family gets to go on all these trips, gets to do all these things. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. the female in the house doesn't get the opportunities that they should deserve to just because of being in that household. And 
obviously with this being such a common thing i can i guess i can say in our community i don't believe there's anything yet that uh a foundation or a place that people can go to uh for support but obviously we now have kure and kure yeah. obviously stands for something very strong but i want to let you guys explain that we know that kure translate to something that almost can equate to support in a way and protection. So can you guys just tell us a little breakdown of why you guys chose that name and what it means to you? Yeah. So, well, kure is a Tamil word and it means umbrella. And I guess when you think of umbrella, it's something you don't always pull out, right? But you pull it out when you need protection um from the rain. <laughs> so, it's it's really a temporary solution, but it offers safety for that time and that's what we want to offer to you know young Tamil women who are in these like precarious situations and need a place to go because there were situations when and we'll talk about like our personal journeys after but like there were times where I just needed to go somewhere and I had nowhere really to go um you know I would have to be on the street like thinking about a place that was specifically for Tamil women the challenges that young Tamil women face are very unique and when Tamil women talk to other Tamil women there's like an understanding a solidarity a sisterhood and imagine being in a place like that and being supported and there's like routine and stability because you know it's one thing to leave your house and go somewhere and even if you were able to afford to live on your own being in a transitional house is different because you get professional support yeah definitely and i i think that differentiation is key right especially in, in our community cuz you know i had a conversation with one of our partners here in the team uh, earlier when we, before we even stepped into the studio and we we're talking about how you know we all find comfort or there's that stereotypical comfort found within the four walls that we were born and raised in right and For it's sure. like society almost or at least the tamil community makes it seem as if you know like where else are you going to get better support than the mm-hmm. you know the people who raised you like how can how could you find mm-hmm. support from someone else who who doesn't know you who hasn't raised you right hasn't been around your whole life but yeah. i guess th- i mean obviously that's not the reality right i mean not every conversation could be had with a parent not every con- conversation could be have with a sibling sometimes you really do need to have that conversation with someone who's you know completely unbiased and would have no opinion sometimes you just need that ear right so in terms of kind of emphasizing that can you can you tell us a little bit more like about kuda in terms of how those resources differentiate right like what is is someone going to be able to get out of kuda that they can't get from their own home environment and why is it so important to have this transitional home it's getting the support from the existing services but also in a way that it kind of applies to the Tamil community and applies to the culture and the intergenerational trauma like i work in a residential facility for like young people as well but it's 90% of them are caucasian so like i can't imagine me being Tamil and seeking treatment there mm-hmm. and being supportable because half of the like things that they do or talk about it's great stuff but does it apply to a kid growing up in a Tamil household probably not not all the time mm-hmm. so that's kind of what we're trying to hope do with kuda too that making the services more applicable to to a kid growing up in a Tamil community in a Tamil household and understanding where they're coming from and where the parents are coming from and how things work out that way too definitely definitely and to make it relatable of course i mean you know we have people mm-hmm. like yourselves who are running the organization um and are obviously experienced individuals in your own in your own sectors right so delani nurbana mm-hmm. i think this is a great opportunity at this point to kind of Tell us a little bit about yourselves, right? Like, how did you two really get involved in the organization, and what really motivated you um, from your professional life to really transition into this? Yeah, I think like having dealt with so many issues, like hidden homelessness, family violence, addiction, 
you know, intergenerational trauma. And like, to be honest, like to be still dealing with that is what motivates me and motivated me to, you know, kind of go into youth work and Tamil youth work. And then like working with the youth then kind of humbled me because I was like, whoa, like there are so many of us. And it's like, I, I was kind of naive and I thought, you know, maybe people from, you know, the 80s and 90s had like a unique set of issues. But it's actually kids who are like 13, 14, 20 years old right now that are still dealing with the effects of being Tamil and being the children of traumatized Tamil parents. Homelessness for me was living in a house where I felt like I couldn't come out of my room. Like my room was my safe space. And all I, and even then, um, I didn't really feel like I had privacy. And, you know, I don't know if it's, I feel like a lot of some parents don't understand the concept of boundaries, but even like with siblings, right? So it was really important for me to establish that safe space for myself. And like, there was a time before when I moved out and I was living alone, but because I hadn't learned healthy relationships and boundaries and communication, I was kind of reliving certain traumas at that time, which is why I think a transitional house where, you know, you wake up at a certain time and you eat at a certain time and you're learning employment skills, communication skills. Um, you know, some people have never even thought to get a diagnosis from a psychiatrist for something they've been dealing with all their life. So this could be a place where they receive that type of support. And when they come out of the house, they might be better prepared. So it was actually like during lockdown and quarantine and I was still living with my family that I was like, I really, really want to create something for myself and for other young Tamil people. And I started drawing like this apartment with like a bunch of windows and visualizing this independent type of living and a place where people don't have to stress about, oh, I have to pay rent and how am I going to put food on the table and how am I going to make it through life? I'm only like 20 years old and I can't go back to my house and I've already ruined my family's honor. There's so much going on. So around this time is when I met Nirubana online and we... We're discussing something else, and then she told me she was actually working at a, a residential center, a treatment center for youth, and that she's a residential counselor. So I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Can we can we do this? Can we create a town transitional home together? And she was like, yeah, like I really, cause she, because she's living in Ottawa, she doesn't get to work with the town community as much. So that's kind of where we connected. Um, and I'll let Nirubana say her side of the story. Fun fact, me and Duani haven't met in person yet. <laughs> So we've been doing this through Zoom all along. Wow, um, that's but, crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> but where, for me, where it motivated me to start this, because like I already said, where I work, everybody, like 90% of the population I see is Caucasian, and I haven't seen one brown person walk through that door to like seeking help or getting that service, which kind of, made me question and also made me kind of mad because it's not that the problem doesn't exist in the community, but there's a lot of these services and these services aren't capable of supporting our community like in that way either. So that's why it's like, okay, let's create something for us where we can break that barrier to it and we can create that awareness for other services and teach the other services how to serve the community as well not just us doing it but also kind of creating that awareness for other services too right so 
from a personal perspective, like I'm familiar with hidden homelessness and growing up in like what you call a brown foster care because I grew up in, since eight, I guess I grew up in what you call a brown foster care system where you kind of grow up with your uncles and aunts and nieces and nephews and not with your own family. So that's also another factor, right? Like the way we deal with mental health and the way we deal with homelessness as a community is very secretive and it's very hidden and it never kind of leaves outside the community or outside the household, that also becomes a big barrier in getting support and getting the help that you need. So when me and Delani connected a job, it just all fell into places and we just started it right away. We were like, okay, let's do this. Let's just create something that can tackle all of these at once. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think you guys touched on a few important points there, right? Like one, it's it's not only um you know, access, but it's access without restriction, right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. secondly, it's it's the misrepresentation. Like, representation is also just as important, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think there would necessarily be a blatant need for something like this unless the representation existed previously, right? Like, if our governments and if our regulatory bodies and if our, you know, organizations that j- exist right now had the representation that reflects the population, then, yeah. you know, th- these issues would more likely not uh, exist as prevalently, right? I think that's and a very I, important thing as well. And, like, I don't know how, what you guys think about this, but a lot of the studies and scientific studies and psychology that is study is mostly towards Caucasian population. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that are not touched upon that is specific to our culture and our mm-hmm. our community that uh, we just don't learn about because they're not in the books that we read and That's they're right. not in the schools that we're taught this kind of stuff, right? So it's I think it's very important exactly. that you guys are taking on this significant role and uh, providing a foundation for individuals who may be seeking something of this sort. But I'm, I'm kind of curious in terms of this transitional home is a great way for people who are maybe going through some kind of struggles. But just for our community, what kind of advice can you provide on how we can fix our own homes before it gets to a point that we need to leave it? Well, I'll give an example of like um, a family that I'm working with. And I was initially called into the home to work with the young woman. She's like a young teenager. And I will go into the room to talk to her because she doesn't want her parents to hear what she has to say. And then I'll leave the room and I'll come into the living room and the mom will start to talk about her issues. And her, she'll talk about like her, um, her husband like hitting her or like pulling her hair or like saying mean things to her, stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, okay. And I'm in my head, I'm thinking like, Am I supposed to report this to CAS? Like, is there a domestic violence issue here? Is there alcoholism in the family? Like, I'm trying to make sense of all of that. Is there assault? What kind of resources do I give the mom? Then I'm leaving the house or this apartment. I'm going to the elevator and the, the dad starts to follow me outside. And he followed me all the way down to the lobby. And he's talking about his issues. And he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't Stuff like that. And because, you know, so it's like multi-layered. And within one family, everyone has their own different issues. And then the parents have their issues from their parents and their parents, right? And throw in a genocide and a war and immigration and adapting to a climate that your body wasn't even used to like all this stuff gets passed down and you know inevitably we're going to pass this down to our kids too right and like Narubana and I always talk about how we're not going to be around we're not going to be alive to see the effects that Kure will have within our 
community and society because it's going to take so much healing within different generations, right? To tackle the misogyny in our communities or the poverty and, or even just grieving our dead ancestors. Like who has time to think about all of that? But we're carrying that pain and we're like projecting it onto one another. There's just so much there. Yeah, and it's not to say that our parents aren't going to understand this or change or make a step towards like, you know, understanding mental health or uh, trauma or things like that. It just takes a lot of effort and a lot of conversation and over and over again, you pretty much have to break through a really thick wall that they've built for themselves over the years because of their trauma and because of where they come from and what they've been through that it takes a lot of effort and energy to break through that and get them to understand it which means a lot of conversations over and over again and kind of normalizing things for them, normalizing mental health, normalizing trauma, and just keep on repeating that until it gets through to them and which it will. And that's why like one of the um, services that we want to provide through Kure is parenting and family support. So it's not just about taking a young person away from their family, but you know, supporting them to maybe like re- rebuild and reconnect with their families or even um, working on prevention before it even gets to that point, right? Like talking to, educating our parents on what are feelings, like we all have feelings, you know, it's not a non-Tamil thing to feel and to express and communicate. So, you know, we just have to break it down and make that information accessible to them, right? We have some plans for that before the house and after we get the house. Mm-hmm. And the research point that you brought up earlier is important too, and that's something else we're working on because, you know, through our work, we realize like it's evident our community needs something like this. But when we want to go to the government to ask for, you know, millions of dollars in funding to build something like this, we're going to be faced with the question, like, show me the proof, like what's the evidence? But, you know, a lot of evidence is, it stops with South Asian, right? or racialized young people. There isn't a lot of research that's Tamil specific. So we also want to conduct research as well. So, I mean, of course, with the research too, it's just because it's also part of the fact that we haven't been here so long and our population is growing. So all the more these resources will only help for the future as well too, you know, not just today, but in the long term. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Exactly, and, yeah. it, and especially with, because you do touch on intergenerational uh, trauma and these challenges, like it's, it's mm-hmm. even from your explanation, it's something that we're just going to have to like unlearn and keep learning uh, going forward. And that's, that's not, it's clearly not going to just stop with, it's, so you guys definitely have a big job ahead of you in terms of yeah. what you're trying to do right now. It's mm-hmm. definitely no small feat, but we, uh, we're with you guys all the way. And I think it's much needed um, in our community. It's long overdue as well. There's a few things that you guys touched on during the story about Jenny that, you know, kind of took me back a little bit and made me rethink maybe just, you know, as a, as a Tamil mill, right? And like, it was the little things that you said, uh, you know, being able to, you know, step out of the house. It's the freedoms, right? Being able to set up, you know, your own personal finance, being trained early in life or like being taught early in life to be um, conscious of those things or be to be able to prepare for those things. Right. Um, I think a lot of us are maybe even speaking for myself. Ignorance would say that, you know, y- you would assume everyone learns that. Right. You would assume that like mm-hmm. everyone has equal opportunity, but clearly that's not the case. Right. So can you guys talk to us a little bit about that? Like and, and those disadvantages and, and why those exist today or. 
why they may exist? Yeah, I was thinking that earlier too when one of you was asking about like family dynamics and you know people learning their family. And the thing is, like some families are very normal or healthy and beautiful, right? But not everyone ends up in families like that. I think we were in a, we were in a, another show like recently, and the host was saying like. Like, I was just thinking, like, well, right? Like, it's like a help, right? Like, you, and like, the thing is, when you're young, when you can't advocate for yourself, when you're five or six years old, like, that's terrible. And, you know, I think genuinely everyone is doing their best. But again, it comes down to, what education the parents have right like maybe the parents don't know how to budget like there are a lot of families that are struggling because they don't know how to manage their finances so they're not able to pass that down or they don't share it with the there's like very gendered um type of thinking within the family so the girl doesn't have to learn about this and you know eventually she'll get married off and someone else will um look after those things for her and it's a way of kind of like controlling as well yeah it's also more of like not knowing how to deal with most of those things too right if if you see your kids struggling um you might not know how to deal with that you might only know how to deal with it in terms of how your parents dealt with you so it's it's also kind of passed on and kind of prioritizing things because for i think for our community and for our families the priorities are different where like mental health or dealing with your emotions or dealing with your feelings and feeling happy or finding yourself, finding happiness is not the priority for most Tamil households. It's more like, are you are you going to school? Are you going to be successful? Are you going to be financially happy or like get married or have kids? Or like those things have still hold a big importance in Tamil communities and our families. And those are still the priorities from like the parents' generations, right? So now that the priorities have changed for most of our generations, it's so hard for the older generation to kind of comprehend that and tackle that and understand that. Yeah. So would you say it's even worth going back out of our out of our way to explain to them why we're changing the way we are and, and shifting our principles? Or, you know, do we just carry on as, as the next generation of Tamils who, you know, understand where our priorities really are in order to be a free and clear society as a whole and that we move forward, right? Do, do we really go out of our way to, to go back and, and have to stress those importances to, to these people who see it the old way? Or do we just move on? If, if you're doing that, like, I would say you're not really moving on, right? You're still carrying that trauma that you want to because of right. that or those emotions because yeah. that's what our parents did too because they kind of moved on too they never dealt with their trauma they mm-hmm, never dealt mm-hmm. with their emotions Definitely. they kind of just moved forward and they just wanted to live their life make their life better for their kids so we're just going to repeat the same thing yeah. if we're just like there's definitely on, been right? improvement from like the past yeah. generation mm-hmm. and there's just only going to be a slow progression in how we grow as a community right. if we don't take action yeah. And, and if you just mm-hmm. leave it, you just allow it to like fester and, you know, yeah. just continue growing. Yeah. It's, it's a never-ending yeah. cycle. It's a really, it's really hard uh, conversation to have, like, conversations, mm. not just one. Um, and it's difficult and awkward sometimes because it's not it's not easy talking to your yes. parents about how yeah. I feel and how happiness is the most important thing for me or feeling uh, self-love or self-care. Those are not, like, comfortable topics to talk about with your parents. Right. Obviously, like, in the Tamil community, but 
that's what needs to happen. Those uncomfortable, awkward conversations need to happen, even for our parents to kind of come to that reality and come to that like understanding of okay, this is the reality now. This is what's normal. So we have normalized it for them, so they can like better understanding of that and move forward with this rather than just leaving them behind. I I would also say that um, as much as it's important to help you know our parents or the older previous generations understand. I, we have to also like pick and choose our battles, right? Like mm-hmm. when we're dealing with homelessness or, you know, serious struggles in our life, we have like a finite amount of energy and time and resources. And often I think it's important to take care of ourselves first um, before, because those can be really taxing, exhausting conversations as well. And there's only so much we can do outside of ourselves. Like I think we really only have control over ourselves at the end of the day. So it's important to prioritize that because I find that a lot of young people feel like they've given so much already, you know, to their parents and their expectations. And sometimes I also find that when the child or the young person does move away, just taking that action itself starts to normalize it for the parents more than any amount of talking does. Fair enough. Another thing we also want to touch on as well too that came up quite a bit actually in your earlier uh, conversations is hidden homelessness. Um, I don't think that's a term that you hear too often. Do you guys want to give us a breakdown on what that that means and what that problem is essentially? So like homelessness as you understand it or anybody understands it, like what you see on the streets, people without houses or people without families, you know, just out on the street. Um, the hidden homelessness is where, like, if you're looking at it from the outside, you might not think that, oh, they're homeless. Like, they don't have a place to live or they don't have a place to be. But homelessness is more than that. It's having a safe place to be or having a place that, that you feel like you belong, right? And you feel like you have support around you and you have something to fall behind on or back on. Um, so the like, hidden homelessness is something that it, none of that exists. You might be in a house, you might be surrounded by some people, but you might not feel safe being there. You might be at risk like 24-7 and you're always looking to leave or you're always looking to just escape and you have no no one to call or no support around you to, to walk you through that. So that in itself, it's like you, 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 don't, you don't feel like you belong there and you feel like you just need to be somewhere else. So, at the end of the day, that's homelessness too. So, it's pretty much on a spectrum. We always say, like, look at homelessness on the spectrum, not just, like, the extremeness of it, but all of these factors they include in it. Yeah, I think that completely makes sense. Yeah, so it's homelessness we obviously see, I guess, as a Canadian culture as such a horrible thing. But in, in a way, this hidden homelessness is a lot worse because uh, you technically have a home, but it's not really a home to right. where you want to be. So to anyone who's listening right now and those who may come across the Kure page, um, but they may feel hesitant to reach out to you guys. Maybe they want to stay anonymous. Maybe they just mm-hmm. don't want to come out as being one of those people who have some of these issues. What would be your advice to them? To do like what's safe for them. Um, there are like housing workers that are available in like different neighborhoods and cities. So try to get access to a housing worker first. Um, they'll be able to give you options, maybe help you like 
put in an application for housing connections. Um, you know, there is a long like ten year wait list to you know get into housing, but um, if it's like an emergency situation, like a, a community support worker or a social worker might be able to get you like emergency housing, and then kind of give you like what a few different options. I would start there. Um, it's hard with being Tamil, like in the Tamil context, dealing with hidden homelessness because um, the whole concept of like honor and shame, right? Like to leave your house, it's like, oh my God, there's like so much that comes with that. And, you know, that's also something else that contributes to the lack of research in this area with some of people leaving, right? Because there's like a lack of reporting. I'm pretty sure there's like a song about like, would you trust the flower that bloomed in a dark room? What song is that? I forget. Yes. I guess like, you know, we all need an environment to thrive and bloom in, right? And if your environment is not facilitating that, then... You know, it's okay to leave. You don't need to feel bad about it. Do what's right for you and you're not hurting people and it's not your responsibility to uphold that honor for other people when it's costing you your mental health or your health because it's, you know, mind, body, spirit, it's all connected. So um, reach out to us at uh, www.kode.ca, email us at info at kode.ca and we can help support you. Um, soon we'll be having an intake coordinator who can you know, take, take um, you know, your calls or emails and refer you out to the support that you need. And I do also want to emphasize that sometimes like those stigmas and those uh, kind of experiences stand as a barrier to accessing those services too, right? That's why we are starting this because we understand that. As Kude, we understand where you're coming from, from a Tamil householder, from the Tamil community, and we understand how that can look like and that how that can feel like, and we want to support you in a way that we validate that too, right? And at the end of the day, when you're prioritizing yourself, it also teaches the people around you to be like, okay, I got to protest me or them. Absolutely. And um, on that note, and being able to reach out to you guys, I could of course, you guys are running a, an initiative right now on GoFundMe as well. Um, and being able to set up these type of environments, safe environments for uh, women to, to get to go to and to be able to find the services that you're offering. So can you talk to us a little bit about the initiative that's going on right now? Uh, and how people can donate. Yeah, so because this is like a long-term project, uh, we're going to need millions of dollars in funding, um, you know, hopefully from the government in the future to sustain the actual house. But to get to that point, um, we have to establish ourselves. So we've asked for a million dollars from the community, and it seems like a lot. I know it sounds like a lot, but I don't think it's a lot for our community. I think we can pull those resources together because we've seen it happen when we need to preserve Tamilness, but I think we need to preserve Tamil people to preserve Tamilness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're asking the community to donate what they can. And, you know, if you can't, then, you know, volunteer. There's so much to be done to get this off the ground. Or, you know, just spread the word, share it, because constantly sharing it, um, putting it out there will, you know, bring in donors as well. 100%. To that point, I think as a community, we've donated to more than enough causes that uh, clearly you haven't been able to do as as more, well or more, as, more vanity, as, you know, yeah, more vanity than what we're trying to accomplish here. So a million dollars may sound like a significant number right now, but in terms of the impact that it's going to lay and the foundation sure. that it's going to lay going forward, mm-hmm. I think it's honestly yeah. such a minuscule number. Um, and we just have yeah. to aim higher to be able to provide to these people. 
Um, so once again, that's uh, GoFundMe forward slash transitional home for young Tamil women. Um, the folks are sitting at just over $8,000 right now. Um, so we still got a long way to go, but the community is huge. Uh, and we know your pockets are deeper. <laughs> so so <laughs> definitely uh, we need everyone to come together for this one because um, it's really important. And uh, once again, that link will be in our bio uh, to go ahead and donate. You know, just being on this show and you highlighting this issue and our initiative and sharing this means a lot. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. No, hundred percent. What you guys are doing is is very very important, and and all the more like this is the yeah. least we could do to kind of put this message forward. And uh, Prodigy mentioned there's quite a bit of work to go, and there's a long way to go. And I think this is long term, as you mentioned too. But this needs to be, I think, get yeah. up and running as soon as possible yeah. because it's, it, about it's time a real someone issue. Took a step uh, forward with this one, and I, one thing that really stuck up to me was that uh, when you guys said that this was not something that's going to be done perhaps in your lifetime because you're looking at this as a, a project that's going to be going on for generations and change the mm-hmm. life of uh, many Tamil people to come so uh, we really appreciate you guys joining us today and uh, wish you best of luck with your fundraiser and uh, we will be supporting you 100% of the way that was Nurubin and that was Delani from Kuda once again all the links will be in our bio definitely one big thank you to you guys for showing up tonight and, uh, and letting us know uh, what the situation is here with your organization it was a pleasure having you on the air. No clouds in my stones. Let it rain, I hide your plane in the bank. Coming down at the Dow Jones. When the clouds come, we go. We Rockefellers. We fly higher than weather. And cheap vibes are better. You know me. In anticipation for precipitation. Stack chips with a rainy day. Jay. Rain Man is back. With little Miss Sunshine. Rihanna, where you at?